0: eight the following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel
1: make my life a prayer to you I wanna do what you want me to No empty words work to no know I lie. No token prayers, no compromise I want to shine the light you gave Through your son you sent to save us From ourselves and our despair It comforts me to know you're really there oh, I want to thank My eyes are on me. I guess I have to trust and just believe what you say. Oh, you're coming again, I'm coming to take. I wanna tell the world out there, you're not some fable or fairy tale that I have made up inside. I want to die and let you give your life to me So I might live and share the hope you gave to me I want to share the love that set me free
2: two baptisms spoken of in the scriptures we're all familiar with the water baptism but there is another baptism even much more important but both have a real place in the life of a christian well what does the word baptize mean it comes from the greek word baptizo And in the um, English, it is simply transliterated. It It is the same word. And so we refer to baptism. But what does the word baptism in the Greek actually mean? It means to take an object, a solid object, and to place it under the water, to totally submerge it, to have it, entirely surrounded with it is in the book of romans the 6th chapter referred to as the death or burial of the old man and rising up out of that baptism you are a new person now we would refer in today's language to baptism as a as a sacrament meaning that when you go under the water it's not the water it's what god does in you so what does he do in you we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about the second baptism so welcome to pilgrim's progress i'm pastor ray greenley i pray today will be a sharp revelation regarding the deep things of god and that your heart will be stirred and called and that you will follow Jesus. I'd like to begin by sharing three brief passages of Scripture. They're important for where we're going to go in the coming days and weeks. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, I'm reading from the New International Version. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water Was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Now, you need two things to have your sins taken away by the Lamb of God. And the second thing is, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Both are vital for a victorious Christian life. Now, I want to read you a passage out of Acts, the 19th chapter. Apollos was at Corinth, and Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples, and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, They were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. That's Acts 19, verses 1 to 7. Did you notice that it wasn't just enough to believe? They also needed to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, finally, I want to take you to the book of Titus, the third chapter, and I'm going to read for you verses 3 through 8. Titus, the third chapter, verses 3 through 8. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and desires. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously. That word generous in the scripture is literally copious or large amounts, unending amounts. He continues, He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been made righteous by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Once again, you see, there is a combination here of two things. Forgiveness, cleansing, and receiving the Holy Spirit going to talk about that. There are two baptisms. We call John, John the Baptist, but in fact, that's not what the actual Greek says. It's John the Baptizer. It's a verb. It was a nickname. He was John, the son of Zechariah. But we call him the baptizer. Well, John calls Jesus the baptizer. So there are two baptizers. There is John the baptizer and there is Jesus the baptizer. Now, in the New Testament, it will never talk about The Baptism of the Spirit. It always talks about being baptized. A verb, not a noun. A noun is something static, it's fixed. So John was the baptizer, and Jesus was also called the baptizer. It was, if you please, a nickname, not a name. It was about what both of them were about about what both of them did. That's why it's a verb. So, again, let's talk about what does this word baptize mean. Literally, to immerse in water. John the baptizer did not sprinkle people with water. It's clear, he immersed them in water. Now, he did not baptize them in the dirty Jordan River, in order to wash their bodies. I went to the site in Israel where they believe John baptized. There is a deep pool there. The river water is muddy, kind of green. It's not clear. You can't see the bottom. Sometimes it's very dirty. It gets dirtier as it comes further toward the Dead Sea. But you see, baptism is to create for a person a clean conscience. You've cleaned up your lifestyle. Now how are you going to keep it like that? Won't it just get dirty again quickly afterwards? The answer is yes. Baptism deals only with your past and cleans up your past. It does not clean up your future. Now, John recognized that. He could get people ready for the King of Righteousness to come. He could get them cleaned up from their past. But then the question is, how do you keep them clean? The Apostle John said, you need another baptism. From someone else. And he constantly told people about the baptism that they needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to read some scriptures to you that talk about this. You start the Christian life with a clean baptism, you're washed, your past sins are forgiven. And you come now clean. But look with me, please, in the Gospel of John. And I'm going to begin reading in John, the first chapter, verse 29. Well, no, let's go back before that. Let's, let's start back at verse 22. The Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask John who he was. Uh, Pharisees came to ask John, Who are you? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, well, Why do you baptize if you're not the Christ and you're not Elijah nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. Now, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, what would Jewish people think hearing this? For 400 years, there's been no prophet in Israel. The Maccabees and others did their very best in their human power to defeat the Assyrians or to defeat the enemy and push them back. But they were always only partially successful. And then the enemy came rushing back in. And so after Malachi the prophet, for the next 400 years, there is no word from God. He doesn't talk to him they tell their generations each one a prophet is coming he will announce the coming of messiah messiah is our only hope he will he will sit on the throne like king david and he will rule over us they never lost that hope the pharisees emerged the sadducees emerged The priests and the Levites became extremely corrupt. Under Rome, the Roman government actually sold the priesthood. The high priest bought his position from Rome. And so we have a corrupted priesthood, a corrupted worship. The presence of God is no longer the Shekinah glory in the tabernacle. They're in a desperate place if something doesn't happen, they're going to be destroyed by Rome. And so this prophet suddenly shows up out in the wilderness and he is dressed like the stories of the Old Testament prophets and he cries aloud. He doesn't go into Jerusalem. He stays out in the wilderness. He stays by the river. And as John sees Jesus coming toward him, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, immediately when he says, look, the Lamb of God, they know what he means. They know what the sacrificial system is. They know the goat, the scapegoat, sent into the wilderness with their sins. They know about the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. They know about the Lamb that is offered. They know about the Lamb that is offered or the Ram that is offered at sunset every day. Well, now we have the Lamb of God coming and He's going to take away the sin. Now, what's so Fascinating to me is that it doesn't say who takes the, away the sin of the Jewish people, it says who takes away the sin of the world. That includes Gentiles. The promise is the Lamb of God is going to take away the sin of the world. Now, I've taken this passage of scripture and I've preached it and preached it and preached it on this radio broadcast. I have preached first repentance until one young man said to me, Pastor, why are you always preaching the same sermon? Is that the only one you have? You you say it in different ways, but you're always saying the same thing. You're saying repent. And then the Lord gave me a further revelation. And in that revelation, I saw the truth of holiness. Now, holiness is not preached in most churches today. It's a foreign subject. The preaching is always on the Lamb of God. He'll take away your sin. You're now a Christian, and now you're a sinning Christian, and there's you're going to spend the rest of your life like that. You can never overcome your sin. Well, we find that when John the Baptist came, he came preaching repent. And we find in Matthew... Uh, Matthew, the fourth chapter, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then, of course, Peter went out preaching repent on the day of Pentecost. The Apostle Paul preached repent. Well, all of that hangs on John's word Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The problem is, as I have preached, repent. And let me define some terms, please, very quickly for you. First, there is confession. Specific, real confession. Of specific actions or thoughts or behaviors or attitudes confession next comes repent which means to turn aside from to turn away from a radical turn toward righteousness and so i keep i came preaching repent and then my message shifted it changed and i began to preach yes confess your sins repent and let jesus by faith make you holy you don't have to continue walking in your sin and your wickedness you can be clean by the by the power of the blood of jesus he'll wash you and make you clean now this is what happens at baptism and yes i preached a message of repentance i was in good company And then I preached holiness. Once more I was in good company. But I'll tell you what happened. The harder I preached repent and the harder I preached holiness separated to the Lord, the more frustrated people became. Because they found they didn't have the power to turn aside from their sin. And I would say, "Turn to Jesus, read the Word, pray, He'll give you the strength, He makes you righteous, and He does. All of that is true. We must leave our sin. now, please i'm not I'm not speaking today to casual Christians. I'm wanting to speak to those who are serious. Now, what happened at the National Prayer Chapel is people's spirits became lower and lower so that when you come into the meeting, there was not that joy, there was not that release, there was not that wonderful sense of the presence of God. It was very sober. It was very somber. People were serious about dealing with their sin. There was confession of sin. There was repentance. But some began to say, the Lord is a hard man. I can't live this life this way. And then people would blow away. They'd say, I can't walk this. It's too hard. I don't have the strength. I'm not sure I have to do it anyway. Everybody else tells me the grace of God covers me and I'm fine. So, Pastor, why are you saying we have to leave our sin? Because that's what the Scriptures say. And that message was was right as far as it went. But it was not the full gospel. I've been struggling since I was a child to understand the full gospel of Jesus Christ. I have spent my life studying the word, pressing in, asking Jesus to reveal his heart to me that I could know and understand the way of salvation, not only for my own life, but for those of you I love. And I just want to say thank you for walking with me in this journey. And I freely admit to you many, many mistakes and misunderstandings that I've had as I've struggled to get at the very core of what the gospel message is about. (laughs) Oh, I tell you, there are so many layers of wickedness in the modern church, and there is so much false theology I mean I began as a Seventh-day Adventist and and you know what I learned many things as a child in a Seventh-day Adventist home I learned about holiness I learned about Sabbath rest but as I grew beyond and began to search the scriptures I found that most of their teachings were not based in the word of God No, I don't dice them. I don't put them down. There are many wonderful believers in Jesus in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But their teaching on the investigative judgment is just made-up stuff. Their teaching that at the end of time, the Holy Spirit is totally withdrawn and you have to stand perfect before God is nonsense. Their teaching that you must keep the seventh-day Sabbath from Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown is a total misunderstanding of the symbolism being used in the in the law regarding Jesus Christ. He is the Sabbath. So many things I found out of Hebrews, the third and fourth chapter, that were simply wrong. And so I come at this whole gospel endeavor recognizing that I got started on the wrong foot. I feel left-footed in it. And so I've had to struggle to learn and study the scriptures and say, oh, the scriptures don't teach that. I'm not going to believe it anymore. And sometimes leaving what I have believed for for years has been very painful and very difficult. But I can't trust what another man preaches. I can't trust what another person says. If it is not in this word of God, I'm not going to believe it. The word of God is my final and full authority. It is the basis of my life. And so I I come to it and I search it and I pray over it. I weep over it. And I ask him to reveal to me the fullness of the gospel message that I could proclaim this gospel message in America, that revival could come to this great nation. I'm not interested in success. I'm not interested in money. I'm not interested in a following. I'm interested in following Jesus. And I'm interested in calling you to follow hard after Jesus. And so I preached, I preached this wonderful passage in John, the first chapter. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I wanted my sin taken away. And I tell you today, Jesus has taken away my sin. And for that, I am very, very grateful. Now, he says, I saw the spirit coming down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. That is, he is the one who will immerse his followers in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. I want to tell you there are two things that are necessary. First, it is necessary for you to confess your sin and to repent and leave it. You can never enter heaven while walking in sin. So you're going to have to find a solution to your sin. Now, you've been told many other things by many other people. I'm telling you, this is what I find in the scriptures. And we're going to go over that. Most of you who have listened to this radio broadcast for any amount of time know that I do not believe in a sinning Christian. If a man is sinning, he is not a Christian. It's that simple. You cannot be in Christ and in sin at the same time. Now, you may sin and repent quickly. And 1 John, the first chapter and second chapter, gives us very specific direction on how to deal with that occasional sin, not constant. Now You've heard me teach on this many times. And in Matthew, the third chapter, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn from your sin is what he's saying. Don't continue to walk in it. Get cleaned up. The Messiah is coming. Get cleaned up. Get a bath. Get washed on the inside, in your mind, in your heart. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now John's clothes were made of camel hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. This is the classic Old Testament prophet. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea, the whole region of the Jordan, In other words, there were masses of people coming out of the cities, out of their farms, going out to John the Baptist, confessing their sins. This is verse 6, chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 6. Confessing their sins, specific sins. Confession of sin is never general. It is always very, very specific. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. In other words, they were immersed, and they came up clean. God did a miracle in their heart. He washed them on the inside. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, he's saying, look, I'm not going to baptize you. You've not confessed any sin. A requirement for baptism by John was an open confession of all sin. You had to be right with God. You had to be clean by, by confession and repentance. He wanted to see very specific actions. Do you think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father? I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So John is saying, look, don't play games with me. And then we find in Luke, they began to ask him, different people began to ask specifically, well what should we do? Well, if you have two shirts, give one to the man who has none. If you have two cloaks, give one of your cloaks to a poor person. In other words, begin to act in ways that are loving toward other people and don't be selfish with what you have. It came from the Lord. Don't be selfish with it. He told the soldiers, don't extort money. Be satisfied with your wages. Verse 10 the axe is already at the root of the trees. Now, literally, he's speaking of the judgment of God that is to come on Israel. If they reject the Messiah, Rome is going to come and burn Jerusalem down. And destroy the temple. And Jesus said that he would do that because they rejected him as the Messiah. And more than a million Jews died in that horrendous fire. But the Christians Jesus had warned, when you see these things happen, flee to the mountains. And that's exactly what they did. They fled to Petra, they fled to other places. So Christians did not die in that fire. Now look with me at verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. What's he saying? I'm I'm baptizing you. I am putting you under the water because you have repented to wash you so you can come up out of this water ready to meet the Messiah. Then he says, But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. That was the second lowest slave. The lowest was the one who washed the master's feet. The next was the one who would carry garments. It says, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. What is his winnowing fork? In context, his winnowing fork is the Holy Spirit. And he will clear his threshing floor. The Holy Spirit will gathering his weed into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, there are two things that are necessary. Forgiveness of sin, being made clean, having our past sins wiped away. And secondly, Holiness. Now, the first work of forgiveness is the work of the second person. The first is the work of the second person of the Trinity. Jesus forgives our sins. His blood wipes away our transgressions. But to be made holy, that is the work of the third person, the Holy Spirit. You need both. Which means in simple terms that to live the Christian life, you need to receive the two baptisms, the second and the third baptism of the Trinity. You need Jesus, and you need the Holy Spirit. It's clear from Scripture that you can have one without the other. It's a very important point. If you read Acts chapter 8, You'll find that out. There were some people who had repented of their sins, believed in Jesus, been baptized in water, were full of joy, and yet it says that none of them had received the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John came down from Jerusalem to pray for them. It was unheard of that somebody believed in Jesus but had not received the Spirit. They had to put this situation right immediately. If a person comes to Jesus and is washed clean through confession of sin and repentance and then does not receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they're not going to have power. They're not going to have the power to live a godly life. And what's going to happen is that that person will slowly, in their deep struggle... not walk with the Lord the way they know they should. And that's the situation for many of you listening to this broadcast today. You have tried as hard as you can. You don't have the power. You don't have the confidence. You don't have the boldness to take a stand. You don't minister to other people. You don't win the loss to Jesus. You see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just to help us be holy, but it's much more than that. It's to use us in the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's for the work of the kingdom of God. And without that baptism, without speaking in tongues, without the gift of the Spirit, you're handicapped. And you're going to limp along in your Christian life, and you're slowly going to compromise more and more with the world. And you'll begin to say, well, now I can Now I can spend my evenings watching the television, going to movies, watching sports. I can do this and I can do that. I can go here and there. I can go to the club. It's okay. I know how to, as one pastor said to me, I know how to hang with Jesus and I know how to hang with the world. That's what happens in the life of a person who is not very, very clean and clear, they are going to pursue Jesus with all of their heart. And they're not going to be lukewarm, and they're not going to give up. And some of us have not given up, and we have fought, and we have fought, and we have struggled, and we have confessed, and we have repented, and we've kept coming to Jesus. But it's been hard. There hasn't been a lot of joy there. It certainly has not been explosive joy. Now, you can go to a church today that as the people come in, they're all high-fiving. They're happy. There's a lightness in the church and there's, the music is rocking and it's cranking and it's a wonderful place. It's Everything's positive. It's about strategies for success. It's no holiness. So today we're in a really dangerous place because we've come to Jesus and we've been baptized and then lived our life and chased after the world because there's but no holiness. And the scriptures say in Hebrews, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You have to be made Holy. You have to be separated from this world. Corinthians come out from among them and be separate. There's a coming out that has to take place. There's a cleanness and a walking in Jesus that has to take place. One dear sister who came to Jesus after some time, she said, Pastor, I'm I'm in the depths of the wilderness. I know Jesus will save me, but it's very hard. Do you know why? There's a part missing. There's a part missing. Now, I want to go to another passage. I want to go to the book of Luke. Luke gives us the fullest understanding of what happened with John the Baptist. And and I'm going to share that with you. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, he really nails it down with historical facts. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the desert. And he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And some of you have made me uncomfortable because you've said to me, Pastor, you just preach a baptism of repentance. And that's true. And that baptism of repentance needs to be proclaimed with the loudest voice over America. America needs to repent. America desperately needs to to confess its sin and repent before a holy God. And I don't back away one inch from that message of repent for the forgiveness of sins. Because right now, the church is in such a low place. We're powerless in this culture. We're being swept aside by the wickedness of our day. And pastors are content to be popular to pull down their big salaries. They're content to build their church buildings. They're content to build their kingdoms. Stand up and tell jokes. Show portions of popular videos and movies. Used to be Some pastors would preach out of the Reader's Digest, but now it's preaching out of videos. Multimedia. Have some pleasant little skit, some emotional touch. You can get the same thing by going down to the Kennedy Center and watching an opera. Now, this message of repentance, I'm going to be very clear, has to be proclaimed in America. And I'm going to continue preaching that message of repentance. But then he says, A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And that's, that's the message I'm bringing to you day after day. But now it's gone two steps further. Every valley shall be filled in, Every mountain and hill made low, The crooked road shall be made straight, The rough way smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. And John said to the crowds who were coming to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what he said. And they said to John, Well, what should we do then? And that's when John said the man with two tunics should share one with a man who has none. And if you have food that you can share, share it with others. Tax collectors, what should we do? And he said, don't collect any more than you're required to. Now the people were all waiting, wondering, is John the Messiah? Is he possibly the Christ? And John answered them, I baptize you with water or in water but one more powerful than I will come the throngs of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire so there are two baptisms both are necessary now today we've really gotten away from baptizing some churches will sprinkle a little water moist in the forehead that's not what's being talked about it is baptism by immersion it is putting you all the way under the water that's baptism baptizo utterly submerge you i know some of you are saying oh pastor come on we don't have to be baptized if you want to obey the scriptures you have to be baptized. The command is baptized in water and then by the Spirit. Both are required, and we'll cover that more later. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up with chaff, burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. now let's be very clear there are two baptisms and those baptisms are both necessary both baptisms are necessary for holiness so the first baptism is the cleansing from all past sin You come up out of that water and God has done the miraculous work in your heart. If you have repented, if you've confessed your sin first and if you have repented of that sin, you've turned aside from it, you're baptized, you are made clean, you are washed. I remember when I came up out of that baptismal fount. I was just a young man. I've never felt cleaner in my life. I knew I was right in the will of God. I had been washed and made clean. And by the way, if you want to be baptized in water, I'll be happy to talk with you and I'll take you to the river and I'll baptize you in the river. But I want to tell you, as I moved on from that baptism by water, I again did things and said things that were wrong. I was not filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, people say, Oh, Pastor, when you're baptized, it's finished. No, it's not. If nothing happened, it's not finished. And nothing in the Spirit happened when I was baptized. I was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I was baptized in Jesus' name. And I was washed and made clean. John's baptism was a baptism of cleansing. The Holy Spirit, or could I put it another way, the clean spirit, the clean spirit, that's what holy means, clean, set apart. When you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, you are utterly immersed in the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, it's not external, it's internal. You are brought into the presence of Jesus. You are given power and authority. Well, we're going to continue this. I can't be with you live tomorrow. I have to take My wife, Alexandra, to the airport. She is flying to Africa for a two-week mission trip. But I will be back with you on Thursday, and we're going to continue this study on two baptisms. I'd love to hear from you. It's been a real tough time financially, and God has heard my cry. But we need a great deal more help. If the Holy Spirit prompts you, would you... Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia 22195. If you value this ministry, I'd like to hear from you. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia 22195. You can also go to our webpage, National Prayer Chapel. Dot com, And there you'll find the video from today. You'll find sermons. Anything is free there just to help you in your walk with Jesus. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'm Ray Greenlee. This has been Pilgrim's Progress. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.